But think about the biggest picture of onboarding lasting all the way through, let's just say, the first 90 days of somebody's employment. And so a lot of times folks end the idea of onboarding after their orientation, and then folks are just off and running. But to continue a long tail of check-ins, of um, expectation management, of creating small uh, projects that are going to create success outcomes and then creating longer term goals for the 30, 60, 90 day marks, having a, a lot of focus on building relationships with coworkers and building relationships with their managers. And again, this is one of those things that you have to double down on in a virtual world because they're that much harder. Welcome to the HR LMD podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO and founder of JGA Recruitment specialist HR recruiters. Tuning into the HR L&D podcast will help you to discover strategic growth concepts, leadership development strategies, and the values and behaviors that drive organizational change and success. Together, let's empower our workforces, diversify our thinking, and achieve significant HR success. Hello and welcome back to the HR LMD podcast. Now I'd like to invite you all to meet David Secunda, who joins me today. He's CEO and founder of Workbright. And you're going to like this because his company, which is an HR tech startup, is a company that provides you with the opportunity as HR leaders to onboard any new employees 100% remotely. Now, David is CEO of the company, but he's also founded many successful companies before this. In fact, he's raised over $26 million in capital in growing profitable organizations with hundreds of employees and satisfied customers worldwide. He's also a recognized leader in the outdoor industry. We're going to talk a little bit about that during the course of the podcast. What I'd like to do really is welcome him to the show and let David tell you all about the future of work and how you can start to onboard your new employees 100% remotely. So stay tuned, sit back, relax, and enjoy the HR L&D podcast with David Secunda. David, how are you feeling today? I'm doing great, Nick. Fantastic. Well, listen, we're going to go straight into the questions because... This is something that my listeners I know are going to be keen to hear all about. We're in the midst of a pandemic where everyone's adjusting to working from home practices. People want to know more about how this can work and what the future of work looks like. So let me ask you question one, David, and jump straight in. What is remote onboarding all about and why will it still be a best practice after this pandemic, after COVID-19? Sure. Yeah. So let me just back up a little bit from that, uh, just to kind of provide a little bit of framing of even uh, kind of how I feel about talking about the subject. And and I only say that because it's it's kind of with mixed emotion that I'm talking to so many people right now about remote onboarding and uh, mixed emotion because I founded the company, you know, six years ago with a focus on those employers that had remote workforces or distributed workforces. Uh, They didn't necessarily have HR professionals in satellite offices and the like. And it was really born out of the pain points of the last company I started that was hiring hundreds of people in a very short period of time. And it was in a regulated industry where getting it right when we were 
doing all the, the bits and pieces was highly consequential. And so, you know, we rolled this forward and, um, and it was really focused on that sort of, uh, of an industry vertical or horizontal, I guess I would call it. Um, and then I find myself today doing interview after interview brought on by the pandemic and really finding that what we've built and the expertise that we've gained has has come to service in this in this new area in a very unexpected way. So, you know, I, I, I am uplifted to have the opportunity to share all this learning with people, but I am really saddened that it is uh, due to such a, a health crisis that we're in um, that, is, that is kind of driving this, uh, this focus in this area. And, you know, as you said, Nick, we are not going back. Like these changes that are taking place in the HR landscape, they are the types of things where some of the changes will will return to a normalcy that we previously knew. Uh, but many of these things are are here to stay for the long run. And uh, and so I think the challenge for HR professionals overall is to look at this this ecosystem of changes that are occurring right now, and then be very discerning and deliberate in those that you you choose to incorporate going on into the future. So coming all the way back as well to the question of like, what what is remote onboarding? It is a general term that so many people throw around. And, um, you know, when we're talking about it today, I'm going to focus mostly on that. Let's just call it the tactical onboarding piece that once you decide to hire someone sure. until they come walking into work or start their first Zoom meeting, that space, you know, between those two points, all those tactical things that need to get done. There's also an aspect of that that we can talk about, which I'll just say is, let's call it cultural onboarding, which occurs at the same time. Um, but then as they come through that process, then they would start kind of the, the learning or the orientation process at the tail end of it. So when you're talking about that onboarding and remote onboarding, I would say that of the many, many things that people talk about out there, you know, focusing on uh, the security and the trust and all of those sorts of things, the two things that come to mind that are really important, um, I think, for listeners to to contemplate when when moving to or recreating a, a remote onboarding solution for their employees is first of all a solution that is completely remote. It destroys the whole concept if you're 95 percent remote onboarding, but then somebody has to come in to provide a photo ID or a, a signature in front of someone or something like that. So the the last few percentage points are usually the most difficult, but you want to look for some sort of a system, whether using something like Workbrite, something off the shelf, or creating your own that really gets you 100% of the way there, that somebody can do this on their own time from their own home, um, really as they prefer. And then the other piece is that you really need to find a solution that the employee can use completely from their smartphone. And this is the, the, the I wouldn't even call it trend, just the truth of the matter that we're seeing out there. Uh, we have over 600,000 employees that have done their onboarding through Workbrite, and 70% of them have interacted exclusively from their smartphones. It is just the tool of choice overall. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's it's not that your employees are necessarily going to have a laptop or a fax machine or a scanner, but they're most likely to have a smartphone to be able to use it. So those are the, the two things there. And then the final part of your question, like, is it here to stay? 
Absolutely, it's here to stay. And what we're hearing from our new customers and our existing folks who are onboarding folks all over the world right now as they're as they're bringing on folks who they're not necessarily working in their office is that they're reevaluating as HR professionals what really needs to happen in person and what can be done through the leveraging of technology. And this tactical onboarding piece is certainly one they're finding not only can be done through technology, but workers prefer it that way. They prefer to do this on their own time from home. Instead of coming in their first day, sitting in a fluorescent lit office, you know, and going through a stack of paperwork with somebody, that's a, a terrible first day experience. So employees prefer it. It is truly a health and safety issue now. Um, and then the last thing I'll say about it is that HR professionals are finding that they or we got into this profession because we love working with people. That's what it's all about. And this tactical piece of paperwork is something that just pulls you away from that. And so as HR professionals find remote solutions that allow employees to interact with this kind of administrative layer on their own in a way that they prefer, it also creates more time for the HR professional to have those interactions at this point on a Zoom call or potentially in person, um, that you really can't leverage technology to, to undertake. So long-winded answer, but there's a few different aspects there for you. Yeah, no, it's great. And listen, as a recruiter, which I am working in the HR space, like, this is something that I wish I'd come across a little bit earlier because we've been faced with huge challenges as a recruitment firm here, you know, trying to onboard people remotely during the pandemic, particularly at the, the, the height of the, the real lockdown process. I mean, I can think of one head of HR that we placed in a huge global pharma company where she was, she had about 32 people reporting in, hadn't met any of them. And it was a real challenge trying to get laptops sent, set out, trying to get security protocols in place. And, you know, neither we, which I hate to admit, but it's true, were ready and neither was the client. And we're talking about a huge pharma business here as well. So I, I think it's really interesting because it, I get I get to come across loads of different types of HR technology that are impacting the market that all seem to do different things. But your technology really stood out for me because I've personally, even though I'm not an HR professional or recruiter, I've been faced with some of the challenges that your software actually solves. But I've come across these challenges as a result of the unfortunate pandemic that we all that we all faced with at the minute. But obviously you must have been you're obviously ahead of the curve here because you were able to identify some of these challenges way before the pandemic to get this even off the ground. So what was it that really inspired you to create Workbright in the first place? And what kind of challenges were behind that inspiration? Yeah, well, you know, as I shared, it was really coming from the trenches. In, in this last company that I started, I was experiencing the challenge, uh, in that case, of hiring a contingent workforce. So uh, a workforce that was part-time or seasonal or temporary or contract workers. And I found that most of the other solutions out there were really focused on much more of a traditional employee, somebody who came in one time, stayed with a company for many years. And my employees, uh, you know, I was potentially hiring them two or three times in a single year for different engagements. And uh, it was just such a, a different sort of a solution I was looking for. So I talked to my colleagues and I found that our pain points were very, very similar. And so initially brought four companies together and we customer funded the first solution. We all put in some dollars. We built uh, an alpha product 
Uh, we ran a thousand employees through it. We went through three regulatory audits and it performed extremely well. Everyone else uh, felt the same and, and felt like it was just a huge step forward. Um, so at that point, I, I jumped from uh, CEO of that other company on to founding CEO over here and have uh, taken it forward since. Fantastic. And let's be honest, I don't I hope they, hopefully people picked it up from your introduction, David, but I'll mention it again. You're not afraid of a challenge either. You've got a, a real adventurous spirit <laughs> with some of the uh, the other work you're involved in. What I want to find out in a minute, someone who spotted this challenge early on then and created work like which is great. I would love to know in just a moment some you know where you think the, the future of the industry is going, then what trends we should start to see in the HR landscape. But before we do because I'm a huge outbound adventurist myself, I, I love getting out there doing adventure races and, and mountain marathons <laughs> and things. Tell me a little bit about how you managed to marry your your technical wizardry, if you like, and CEO of some very, very successful firms. It raised over $26 million in capital with your adventurous side because you have a huge role to play in, um, in American camps and, and leading outbound activity centers and things. So tell us a little bit more about that. Oh, well, I have a big smile on my face just even responding to that question because, uh, you know, I, I feel like, uh, especially when I'm, when I'm mentoring young companies and young professionals, um, often people are asking uh, about kind of the, what is the quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes right now, the right path to pursue. And I have just always been an advocate of pursuing the path of passion. Uh, and that passion, uh, tends to create, at least for me, and I think for many people, uh, incredible work products, but more importantly, incredible engagement and upliftment. And I think that if you're working in areas that you're engaged, you're uplifted, you're working in your unique ability, the success kind of naturally follows. It's, it's less about, um, you know, setting out to build a, you know, a company of a certain size and more, you know, seeing uh, what the needs are and seeing what the, the personal uh, journey looks like and kind of following that forward. So I feel really blessed to be able to have taken this path that uh, seemed circuitous. You know, I spent a lot of time in the outdoor industry. Uh, and then I was working in venture capitalism and I was doing tech startups and they seem so unrelated. And now over time, when I when I'm able to look back, it feels like that it took a long time for some of these circles to reconnect. But uh, but they all have, you know, people that I've met and and projects that have started, they all have come full circle to really make uh, make sense in the in the longer view of life. So um, I still have those passions for the outdoors. Uh, pandemic, you know, even leading a tech company here has offered uh, a great opportunity because my my grown adult children have been home and I've been getting out in the outdoors with them. I got out on, on a multi-pitch climb with my younger daughter this last weekend and have spent a lot of time in the mountains uh, with my wife and my adult kids again. So it's certainly kind of a lifelong passion that tends to have such relevance in the entrepreneurial journey as well. Yeah, fantastic. Great, great stories. I'm gonna, I know we're a little bit off-piste here, but I'm going to ask one more question because I took last week off, first four days I've had off work since the pandemic began. It's been full on. I know HR professionals out there have been working around the clock. Sometimes working from home means you do even more hours because your laptop's always accessible yeah. and sometimes it can be difficult <laughs> to switch off. But I found genuinely the last four days I took off, I went into Dartmoor in the UK, which is a 
area of natural beauty. Yeah. We went wild swimming. We went paddle boarding down, down the River Dart and all these kind of adventurous things. And I find it just gives you a huge clarity of thought. It clears the mind, really good for mental health. Um, I wonder from kind of the activities that you've been doing, whether I guess you can give some example, maybe an example of where perhaps some of your ideas have come from some of the activities you've done, the adventure thing, clearing that mind, getting that clarity of thought, have they been able to work together? Has it ever been on an adventure where you've come up with a great idea that's turned, you know, that, that's been relevant, like work, right? Where you've been out, maybe you're pitching a climb and you've gone, you know what would work? <laughs> and I- Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think a couple things uh, I've seen come from my time in the outdoors. Um, and I actually spent a lot of time in the, in the UK. I used to work for Outward Bound Oldswater way back in the day. I uh, haven't spent uh, much time uh, around the region there as well. But, um, you know, the two things that I get from my time in the outdoors, and I'll just for listeners say that this is, uh, I think, important, you know, to think about metaphorically, what is your time in the outdoors? It may be physically in the outdoors. It may be doing something physical indoors. It might be meditation. It might be something else. But, you know, what is this area that you find solace in? But for me, the two things that I get, one is clarity. And so every morning I try and get out for a hike, a bike, a climb, a run, something like that. And it really does provide clarity of thought in, in the projects that are at hand. And, um, and often those synapses connect and I'm able to figure out something or think something through that, uh, that is more difficult if I'm sitting in front of a computer screen. Uh, and then the other one is inspiration. And you know when I think about uh, the bigger adventures I've had across my life, they truly have been foundational in in who I am and and where I am on my entrepreneurial journey. And you know, one I'll point to just as an example, just looking all the way back to when I was 16 years old, uh, I had um, I, I was introduced to climbing, and I had an opportunity to work with an instructor in Yosemite, one of those incredible uh, national parks in California, in the United States, and. Um, I remember, you know, being a, a, a pretty young kid at that point, being the first time in Yosemite, and he bringing me into, uh, brought me into Yosemite Valley, and uh, this monolith of rock, El Capitan, stood before us, and I was literally in awe. And he said, oh, "Hey, Dave, you know, come on, let's go down and sit in the meadow below El Capitan." And we sat down, and then he started to point out the the climbers up on on El Cap, and I was even more amazed by the scale and the the scope of not only the adventure uh, but just the endeavor that they were on. And as we were sitting there, a couple climbers came by us that were clearly uh, coming off of El Cap, and he engaged them in a conversation. And he said, "Hey, you know, what were you guys on?" And they said, "We were on the nose, this this route straight up the middle." And uh, he said, how did it go? And he goes, well, you know, uh, it didn't it didn't really go as planned. And, and we ended up actually bailing off after about three days. It just kind of got boring. You know, it just like it was really repetitive. And we decided to, to head on down and he kind of nodded his head and he he said, yep, yep, I hear you. And, and they continued to engage for a moment. And then they walked on and then we sat there in silence for a moment. And then he looked at me for a second and he goes, Dave, at some point, you're going to be on that slab of rock, you know, and I think it'll be sooner before later. And he goes, there's going to be a thousand reasons to turn around and there'll be one reason to continue up to the top. And that is your commitment. And just remember that when you're on that. And uh, in the moment, it didn't really sink in. You know, I kind of heard it and it filed away somewhere in my mind. 
But two and a half years later, sure enough, I was on that climb. I was, you know, a day and a half up, a storm moved in and I was like, well, time to bail off. And almost like a cherub on my shoulder, I heard his voice say, there's only one reason to continue, and that is your commitment. And we doubled down, we hunkered down through the storm, we continued on to the top. Um, and I look back to that experience often as an inspiration to my entrepreneurial journey, because it is truly about commitment. That is the thing that, that determines so often if a company makes it or fails, it is truly just the, the commitment of the team around the table. So yeah, again, the two things I find in the outdoors is clarity and inspiration. I encourage all of you to find whatever it is in your life that gives you those two things. Oh, what a fantastic, I'm really glad I went off piste. I absolutely love that story. Uh, brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. Well, let's, let me bring it back. We'll pivot it back. What? Okay. All right. I could talk about the outdoors forever and I'll lose, I'll lose my listeners if I do that, but it's something I'm passionate about as well. So let's bring it back. So talking about the HR uh, technological landscape then, you obviously were able to see some of the challenges early doors in terms of what people might experience by, by developing Workbrite, which obviously gives 100% remote onboarding um, software for clients. What trends do you think we're going to see going forward then in the HR landscape? What should we start predicting is going to happen in the future? Yeah. So, you know, HR professionals are in a tough spot um, overall because in general, and, and, and I, I hope your listeners find this to be kind of ring true for them, there's two very different things that are asked from all of us as HR professionals. One thing is to be conservative and reliable uh, because we want, uh, you know, as a company, companies want to count on HR and know that everything is ticked and tied and in place and, um, and, and kind of in some ways risk averse. Um, but on the flip side, the, the C-suite and leadership in companies uh, are looking for HR to be strategic and forward thinking and focused on ROI, uh, return on investment, and, um, and, and willing to, to, in some ways, take some risk. And those two things are very much in juxtaposition with each other. And so when I talk to HR professionals, often they feel that push-pull both directions. And so I would say when we're talking about trends, and I, and I will you know, talk about a couple of them that I'm seeing there, I do think that as HR professionals, the thing to think about is how do you incorporate both of those into your work? That, um, that commitment to uh, you know, stability and security of data. When you think about all of the trust that your workers are placing in you to safeguard their data and information, um, that is a high level of trust and a great responsibility. Uh, but you know, also to then balance that uh, with the with the need to be thinking kind of from a top down view um, and take into account new trends and directions and decide deliberately what to incorporate into your HR field. Um, I, I think the the key in that is to be able to communicate, to comprehend, and then communicate. Um, the potential risks and rewards of following new trends early versus late, uh, kind of when you see them coming on, and decide with your leadership team which are the right things uh, to lean into. And so that's a different 
uh, it's a different formula for, for each company, just depending on how conservative or uh, risk-oriented you are or, or all sorts of things in between. Um, so as far as trends that we're seeing, I mean, there's, of course, a lot that, that people are talking about. Um, artificial intelligence is one of them. And um, artificial intelligence is something, for example, that we built into uh, a latest feature release uh, from, uh, from Workbrite, which allows when employees are uploading documents such as uh, a passport or identification card, uh, we use AI to do a couple things. One is to extract all the data into it, uh, off of it, and into the system so that the worker doesn't have to key in the information. But the other is to run about 20 different fraud and validity checks. So it's looking at the watermark and the hologram and all of those sorts of things to determine if, if those identifications are valid. That's a great thing to think about as an HR manager of a good use of AI uh, because it's doing something that you could do. You could become an expert in identifications and knowing all the nuances of a fake and a real one, but that's probably not where you want to spend your time. <laughs> you know, really, uh, most HR professionals want to be more strategic and more people oriented than down in the weeds of really um, having to to uh, to understand the nuances of, of fraudulent identifications, for example. So, you know, when thinking about something like artificial intelligence, and I hear many HR professionals express some fear and trepidation. They're like, oh my gosh, is AI going to take my job? And I would just say, relax. No, AI is not going to take your job. Ideally, it's going to take away the parts that you hate about your job. And that's the place to look for solutions that incorporate AI um, to, to remove those things that are at the bottom of your list of uh, things that you find uh, you know, in, the least enjoyable, like target those to, to leverage AI. And then hold on to, with a very tight grasp, um, those things that are in your unique ability, those things that you have a you know an incredible level of expertise, uh, a, um, a really thirst for continued learning, but most important, those things that give you more energy than they take. Those are things not to, to look for technology to automate, but to really hold on to for your personal development and for your company's best use of who you are. Um, so AI is certainly one of those things. It's being talked a lot about in the industry. And I encourage folks to kind of be discerning in, in choosing those things um, that can be best used for that. Um, another one that I'll just say personally that I'm kind of an evangelist for uh, and, and this might be a little bit shocking to some, but it's the elimination of the form. And I don't just mean the elimination of paper, but I mean the elimination of the form. And as HR professionals, we all have kind of this romantic relationship with the form. It's kind of it's our it's you know it's our currency in the hr profession it's like fill this out and give it back to me you know and um, and that's kind of what we've, we've cut our teeth on uh, and yet when we think about what our jobs are as uh, as professionals it's really to 
make sure we know the person that we're talking to is who they say they are to collect a bunch of information from them and to and have them say that this information is true and then to take that information and put it in different places in payroll or to government systems or things like that and this idea of a form is is still really just an abstraction it's a way that we like to look at this data but in the long run i would say that it's going to be less and less common that we're dependent on rendering things on a form or saving them as a PDF. Um, and it's really gonna be more uh, about what information needs to move from place to place. And that's gonna release a lot more efficiency in our systems. Fantastic. I'd say, David, I don't think I could have articulated that any better. I wholeheartedly agree on the AI side. I think HR professionals need some of their tasks, some of the more mundane tasks to be automated so they can spend more time in delivering strategic value. And I think, I think you've, you've surmised that perfectly. I think the one thing to, I would add is, is HR professionals can really add value because they can contextualize a problem. So let, this, let the systems do the automated tasks of, as you say, identifying whether something's black or white and, and really you know, use the human brain power to contextualize real problems to add real value. And I, I think AI is going to be a, you know, revolutionary in a good way for the HR profession because it's it's screaming out for that they're overworked at the minute anyway. So if they can free up some time to really focus their efforts on more strategic tasks and moving forward, I think that's going to be a real positive. So I think you've, well, I've just re-summarized it. But you summarized it much better than I did. So I'm really glad I asked the question. <laughs> something that's quite, totally quite relevant in our market, certainly over here in the UK, there's a lot of conversation about the gig economy at the moment. Um, you know, we've got oh, yeah. IR35 legislation, which has been delayed by a year, but it's, it's certainly been a hot topic pre-pandemic. How do you think the gig economy is going to reshape the modern workforce? Wow. I mean, that is such a, um, it's a broad question, you know, and uh, the gig economy, it's not only going to, it, it, it already has. And the gig economy, again, is something broadly conceived as, as those folks who, uh, I would say anyone who doesn't have that traditional uh, single employer long-term work relationship. It's those who are, uh, you know, working uh, on an app-based uh, sort of a company, but those are also employees who are working as contractors uh, and choosing to kind of create their own gigs per se. So, um, you know, in the United States right now, about 40% of uh, employment is contingent. And so it's a little bit broader than gig. It's not just app-based, but part-time, seasonal, contract, temporary, all those folks fall into that. That's a huge huge part of the economy. And really the, the reshaping that is happening here is, you know, you just got to step back and look at the, the macro landscape, which is that people are choosing to create their livelihood in many different ways. And the gig economy helps facilitate that in a big way because it allows, um, let's say the speaking specifically around app-based solutions, uh, it enables an employee to, or a worker to spin up a short-term engagement to fill a gap um, and to really deliver that on demand to themselves and to their family as economies are concerned. And when we talk to workers who are non-traditional, in the past, the largest stress that they've had is knowing what comes next. 
so if they're working, you know, seasonal jobs, you know, figuring out what the next seasonal job is. And by the, you know, the gig economy coming up in its popularity and its accessibility, it gives almost an immediate gap filler for folks who don't find themselves immediately engaged, but have tomorrow or the next week or the next month available um, and want to plug into something. So from a worker facing side, it's, it's a, a revolution that folks are not going back from. Um, it might not be that people stay forever in the gig economy, but it is going to be the punctuation mark. It'll be the comma between careers or uh, the space between um, other longer engagements that, that people turn to more and more fluidly and frequently. From an employer side, my gosh, this is where the huge opportunity exists. Um, in, in, you know, in 2008 in the United States, we had such a uh, an incredible economic downturn. And there were so many full-time workers who, who lost their jobs. And in general, what we saw was employers did not hire back up after the, the economic collapse of 2008, all of the same full-time workers as they had before. They were looking for greater flexibility. And so they backfilled with a, with a contingent and gig workforce in many of those cases. And that was really where we start to see the gig economy start to start to take off overall. And those employers that have used this tool to its greatest benefit, those are the ones who are on the cutting edge of this right now. And really what that means is you know, when you look at uh, the potential of hiring a full-time worker versus a contract worker, a gig worker, it allows you to much more specifically go after the skill set that you are looking for and to have a lower level of commitment uh, when working with a gig uh, worker or a, or a contingent worker. So instead of you know hiring a generalist who can do a bunch of things, you know let's use a, a weird analogy of building a house. Hiring somebody who can build the whole house, you're able to hire somebody who can just do framing and just do plumbing and just do electric, uh, and then you know throttle them up and throttle them down when you need and don't need them. And the companies that learn to work in that ecosystem well, those are the ones that have incredible success uh, because those are the ones that are able to align their cost structure you know, very much with the demand on the other side of their business. And traditionally, a full-time workforce is something that's very difficult to throttle up and down. So um, you know, that's just a you know, talking about it for a few minutes, but a few of the the changes or advantages I see at both sides of that. That definitely makes sense. I think we're seeing the same trend from my perspective as a recruiter in this space, uh, in the software space as well. You know, there used to be not long ago, and a few years back, everyone was into these integrated packages that did everything. These all-in-one solutions. It right now, I think there's been a real change of heart. People are looking for best-in-class. Um, software that all kind of integrates with each other. And that's been a shift. It's a bit like that house scenario you gave before. You know, I'd rather have a, an abs- a specialist absence reporting tool, a specialist remote onboarding tool, and all these different bits that feed into to one integrated solution as opposed to something that does tries to do everything and be, a, to use the, the, the phrase in the UK, you know, jack of all trades, master of none, which was probably yeah. what they used to happen. So we're seeing a big shift in that side. Have you ever asked yourself... How can any recruiter understand my HR recruitment challenges? Please don't give up on your hiring challenges just yet. Here at JGA HR Recruitment, we appreciate the difficulties associated with attracting, recruiting and retaining top human resources talent. We also understand just how costly a poor hire can be. 
JGA HR Recruitment would like to partner with you to help you overcome your hiring challenges. Contact us today on 01727 800 377 or visit jgarecruitment.com to find out more. One thing that I'd like to ask you, and I'm, I'm presumably this is something you've had to consider in the developing of your software, and I'll mention it because only a few weeks ago we saw a huge ransomware attack on Garmin, which is probably a brand that's close to my heart, probably a brand close to yours being oh, yeah. in the outdoor industry as well, right? <laughs> and it's one of those brands you don't expect to get hit because they're so big that is, you know, behemoth brands, you think, no, they're always going to be protected. But I think when it comes to HR, when it comes to recruitment, which is what I do as well, and payroll and all these things, Things like security and privacy are areas which we sometimes assume other departments are looking after because it's a <laughs> difficult thing yeah. to look after. We leave it with IT or we leave it with somewhere else. But as we start bringing in all these different solutions, I do think that security and privacy has become more of um, an element that HR professionals need to start considering right now. So I'd love to know your your view on, on how you see security and privacy evolving within human resources. Absolutely. Well, um, it is a hat that we must wear, and it is one that all of us need to kind of understand more thoroughly so that we can, you know, in a smart manner, make decisions that are protecting the the safeguarding of information that workers have presented to us. So it is it is kind of our responsibility to to learn the basics about security so that we understand the landscape that we're, you know, that we're operating within. When we um, look at employers that are creating remote onboarding solutions, and again, people are doing a lot of different things. They're, they're often creating their own homegrown solutions. Initially, what we see companies do when faced with an immediate need to do remote onboarding is they just uh, do onboarding via email. So they email PDF forms, they ask employees to download them, fill them out, and email them back. And I first, I applaud folks for, for being scrappy and um, looking for immediate solutions on how to uh, get the job done. And that's really what it comes down to. But I highly encourage folks to, to turn away from email uh, as an acceptable solution because of its security vulnerabilities. And, you know, as we all know, when you send an email, unless you're deliberate about it, that email is is kept in your sent email box. When the employee fills this form out with all of their sensitive information, all their bank account information, uh, and then sends it back to you, it lives in their sent mail. And those then become vulnerabilities if that email account is hacked in the future on an individual level. Like you as an individual HR manager, if your email, uh, you know, username and password is accessed and somebody gets in and they do a search in your sent mail for direct deposit and all of your employees' direct deposit forms come up, um, that is just, it's unfortunately not a secure choice overall. So, uh, you know, can be something that people move to in a pinch, but that's just like the base layer of really important to kind of think about the longer term consequences of that. So when you are thinking about security in the system, whether again, you're looking to create something on your own or use something like Workbrite or another solution out there, um, you really do want to be asking the security questions to understand kind of how they are safeguarding the information, if they're GDPR compliant, if they're SOC 2 compliant, the types of things that will allow you to um, you know, best assess those solutions. And, and really, you know, when I, when I said that we need to kind of learn the basics about security, we can't all become 
you know, cybersecurity experts. It, it really is understanding kind of what are the certifications out there and what is appropriate for the size and type of company that I'm working with, as well as the um, type of information that that company has. So just to give you one example of as an HR professional trying to use the right tool for the right job, if you're choosing an ATS, an applicant tracking system, security might be less important because the data that is in an ATS typically doesn't include financial information and, and sensitive information. It's more pre-employment information and some interview questions. Whereas if you're choosing an onboarding solution where employees are submitting, again, all of this financial information, your security bar should be you know, materially higher on that. So again, it's just kind of understanding how the landscape works and trying to ask the right questions. Yeah, perfect. I have to say, I've, I've actually, if you heard me scribbling away, it was me making a note. I need to check my scent items and clear that down. I think... Um, <laughs> clear that down. Yeah. yeah, you know what? It's, it's, no you, you forget any, about no it, right? hacker listening. Nick's yeah, going to exactly. do that right after the call. <laughs> yeah, don't worry. I'll be publishing this in, uh, later enough time for me to clear that down. But uh, <laughs> okay. I'm sure if I've thought that, I won't be the only one. But listen, I want to I bring it back. Let's go full circle. Let's go back to remote and decentralized teams because... You know, myself, even when we're in my own business here at JJ Recruitment, we've now got people working from home. It's been an adjustment for me. It's been an adjustment for leaders out there that are trying to get used to the new ways of working. How would you recommend organizations go about building and supporting a successful remote or decentralized team? Yeah, boy. Again, that's a multifaceted question overall. So, um, the, I'll, I'll talk about the things uh, just kind of from my professional knowledge as well as from my direct experience over the last several months. Um, the last four employees that we've hired here at Workbrite, we have uh, you know recruited, interviewed, hired, onboarded, oriented, and uh, they've begun working, and, and none of us have met any of them. And so you know it's certainly the case that this is true with many, many employers out there overall. And as far as best practices, there are a lot of different things to think about. So first of all, you know, onboarding, I know it's what we do and, and uh, at Workbrite, and it's certainly one of the motivators for the call here. But from an employer and employee perspective, I almost want onboarding to disappear. I want the friction to be removed so that it is easy for that employee to get done uh, and it is something that is a well-oiled machine for the employer that they don't have to worry about it because there are so many other aspects of having this remote workforce that do require extra elbow grease. You know, so I would just say, you know, make sure you have a, a great technical onboarding system, uh, something like Workbrite or otherwise. Uh, and then the things to really think about in this onboarding process are those things that made you a great employer and a great HR person in a real world situation. So go back and think about those experiences you've had as an HR professional or as a recruiter that you found were the best practices, those things that you saw uh, an employee, a worker light up with delight. You saw them inspired by learning about the vision of a company or uplifted because they had a human connection and they were, they were meeting a colleague that they could tell was going to be a friend. 
or they were open-hearted when sharing their background with other employees. Whatever it may be, you got to look back across your personal experience and think about those things that you know make a great human resource experience. And when I say um, you know human resource experience, I'm thinking about not only hiring somebody, but retaining that person going forward. Um, and then think about how to create those in a digital world and double down on them double down on them. Um, there, there's no uh, you know, exact answer for folks, but what we're seeing is that managing remote for workforces requires additional communication uh, above and beyond what you would have. It, it requires an increased level on cultural onboarding. Those deliberate efforts you make to connect employees with each other and to connect them with management and leadership. And then it demands an ongoing focus on checking in and mental health of your workforce. And this is something that I would say by and large, companies are falling down on. They, they're, they're hiring people, they're, they're taking their traditional in-office orientation and moving it online, but then they're not checking in enough going forward. They're not continually assessing the uh, emotional and mental health of their employees and pandemic is hard on people you know we all know that we're all moving through this and it's it's probably going to be here for uh you know a, a, a bit longer and so um think about specifically those employees uh, on both ends of the spectrum some that might be living alone and really are socially isolated and typically they would be in a physical work office for their social connection and they aren't getting that think about checking in with them also think about workers with a large family and lots of kids at home that they're struggling to provide uh, homeschooling or online educational support and they don't have a, a private workspace or anything like that, they're also struggling. So in general, I would say the theme is think about what you've done well in the past and what's worked, recreate that in the digital world, and then turn up the volume. Fantastic. Well, actually, you've, you've helped me there because I, I seem to be asking these multifaceted questions, but it means you've answered my next one already, which is what are some of the challenges people need to be prepared for? But I think we've covered that. Well, you've covered that brilliantly. So yeah. I'm going to finish this with this last question because it's something close to my heart. I know it's definitely close to the HR um, professionals out there that are keen to attract new talent to their brands, but also to retain it. You mentioned retention in that last answer there. So to finish, uh, David, I'd love to know your views on how organizations can, and you know, with remote working in mind, how can they you can use remote technology to increase retention, to improve job satisfaction, um, and, and also to improve the attraction for a brand? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we already know that a good onboarding technology is a positive new worker experience. Like in, in surveying work and, and focus group work, we learned that they prefer it because, uh, again, they don't enjoy, uh, in general, coming in that first day of work and having their first experience being either left alone or one-on-one -on -one in a room and going through a ream of paper. So by moving this experience to something that they can do on their own time, it certainly uh, you know creates 
uh, a more positive experience at the very start. And each one of these little experiences when hiring a new employee is very much about whether they're going to stay around for the long run. Each experience that you put together is a building block of them learning about the whole picture of your company and, uh, and overall what it looks like. Now, the thing that I will say is a key, and I'm sure you know this, Nick, from your recruiting background as well, as far as retention in a position is concerned, is alignment of expectations. We learn this over and over. So the, the more incoming workers understand and are aligned with the expectations of the position of the company, and they understand what that position is going to look like, the more likely they are to make a deliberate decision and stay around for the long run. Now, sometimes this creates a smaller funnel of applicants, but what you're doing is filtering them out at the front end instead of in their first month two or three of work when they're then learning about these things. So one of the most important things is to be very transparent, especially in this remote world, be extra transparent about what the work is going to look like. We encourage you to put together in, um, you know, especially in the remote world, a day in the life for a particular job where you're interviewing another employee who has that position, or you're putting together just a video of you talking about very transparently what that position is going to look like on a daily basis. Um, and often I've seen companies try and obfuscate or hide some of the negative aspects of the work or some of the more difficult aspects of the work. And I would advocate for being very clear on what those are, as well as the best parts of the job um, to help people uh, decide early if this is the right fit for them. So that early transparency using whatever you, tools you have is kind of a, a, a good indicator for employees sticking around for the long run. The other thing is to think about this broad period of onboarding. And, and again, I was talking a lot about the tactical onboarding when I talk about Workbrite, but think about the biggest picture of onboarding lasting all the way through, let's just say, the first 90 days of somebody's employment. And so a lot of times folks end the idea of onboarding after their orientation, and then folks are just off and running. But to continue a long tail of check-ins, of um, expectation management, of creating small uh, projects that are going to create success outcomes and then creating longer term goals for the 30, 60, 90 day marks, having a, a lot of focus on building relationships with coworkers and building relationships with their managers. And again, this is one of those things that you have to double down on in a virtual world because they're that much harder. So something that we've done here, for example, with new employees, if you think of a, a physical office on those first days or weeks, somebody walks around, they meet other employees, they don't have that, that opportunity in, in a virtual world as much. So we facilitate that. We create these morning coffees with a new employee so that they have an opportunity to meet every single person in the company. So over their first you know, few weeks, they'll have a scheduled time at just 15 minutes each morning where they'll, where they'll meet with two or three other employees in a Zoom room. They'll all have coffee and we'll give them one question, a different question every day to answer to, as a conversation conversation starter. So again, just kind of thinking about those things that naturally occur and then moving those uh, kind of into the digital world. Fantastic. Well, you've given us so many insights, uh, David, today. So thank you so much for joining me. David Secunda, of course, founder of Workbrite. If you are interested in 100% remote 
digital onboarding software that streamlines and digitizes, let's be honest, the traditional paper-heavy, cumbersome process of onboarding new employees, then I highly recommend you go and visit his website, which is www.workbright.com. David, I could speak to you all day, I think, both about HR and about outdoor activity. <laughs> so thanks so much for joining me today on the HRMD podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. Are there any other links that you'd like me to uh, to highlight to, to the listeners while we've got them on? I think that uh, at workbright.com, we have a great blog with a lot of uh, remote work um, recommendations there as well. So we're checking out. Fantastic. I'll also include a link to your LinkedIn profile as well if people want to find out more. So thanks again. And of course, if you are listening to this HRND podcast and you find yourself needing to recruit some top HR talent, then please do give me a call. I'm CEO and founder here of JGA Recruitment. You can reach me at nick at jgarecruitment.com. You'll also find my contact details in the episode notes. Otherwise, I'd like just to say to you all, look after yourselves and each other. And thanks again for joining me today. I'll be bringing you a new episode of the HR L&D podcast real soon. Take care of yourselves and each other. All the best. Thank you so much for tuning into the HR L&D podcast with your host, Nick Day, CEO of JGA Recruitment Specialist HR Recruiters. If you need any help with the current HR or L&D vacancy, then please get in touch with Nick and his team. All contact details can be found in the episode notes. In the meantime, to make sure you never miss a future episode, please subscribe to the show through any of your favorite podcast channels. Till next time.